0: index investing secret to financial success or should we still be using the active guys it's brian preston the money guy
1: restoring order to your financial chaos retirement investing taxes you've got financial questions he's got financial answers
0: it's brian preston the money guy Index investing versus active management. This seems like it's one of those battles that you can go find a gazillion articles on it. And every time I read an article on index investing where they try to compare and contrast to active management, it's always lacking in detail. And so I've tried to create an analysis that gives detail. But here's the other thing. I'm actually not going to completely throw the active managers under the bus. I mean, I think that there mm-hmm. is still a time and a yep. place for a section of your investments right. with active management. But I will tell you, I do feel like the battle has been decided in several asset classes. Do you agree or, or disagree? No, with me I, that?
1: I do agree. And I, and I think what's interesting is this bat I mean, it was what uh, Bogle who came up with like the first idea of this index fund. And so they've been around for a long time. and And, and even it seems like since the inception, the fight for them has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger and it almost sounds like you're willing to lay the claim now the war has been won the, yeah. the battle is over
0: yeah i mean it, it, let me give you some stats i you know i love me some numbers that way um everybody out there in money guy land can see that we actually do some research and we don't just start jibber jabbering on here so in 2017 that's the most recent data that i could find because this stuff comes out around april may mm-hmm. um so we won't get the 28. Data for a few more months. But in 2017, U.S. investors poured $470 billion into passive equity strategies. During the same time period, there's an outflow of $175 billion from active management. So if you look at add those two together, I mean, you can see we're getting close to $700 billion spread between what's coming and what's going. Um, truly amazing. Passive investments account for almost 45% of all equity assets in the U.S. mutual funds and ETFs. And if you think about this, that makes complete sense with the progression of transition to 401Ks, sure. self-directed retirement plans, <laughs> and then people using you know,
1: target retirement right. funds, index funds. These things are all interrelated. It's, just, it's amazing to me to think about half because it hasn't always been half. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you think about when we used to work with clients you know, 10 years ago, we'd look at their 401K investment options. And there wouldn't be a ton of indexes in there. Now we look at them, and we are kind of seeing more. So it's definitely something that's got become more prevalent over the last decade. I, would I say. did a show on this. It's been a few years.
0: I can't remember dates. I probably should have looked it up. That'd have been a good exercise. That we did. This is before we started being on YouTube. Um, this was more of a podcast where I think it was, my stat was seventy. Uh, the your top secret weapon for financial success that seventy percent of the population is not using. Yeah. and at the time yeah. it was talking about index funds. Um, But, you know, now I would say we're probably close to, you know, definitely majority to Mm -hmm. half of the people are using um, index funds, and and you're starting to see it. Now, that that leads to who's the 55% still in active management?
1: Yeah, so if half the people are doing it, that means half the people aren't doing it.
0: I always think there's a lot of brokers out there, and this is something because I know a lot of people, if you're watching the Money Guy show, you're probably doing index funds. Right. But that doesn't mean you don't have friends. You don't have parents mm-hmm. who might be a little more traditional. And they got there, you know, the guy who shows up in the, the coat and tie, you know, has the mahogany. Uh, the bookcases You know, and stuff. You walk in and you smell the, the rich wood and leather that's in their, their, their lobby. Uh-huh. And you go in there and you wonder, are they buying index funds here? And probably not. Right. Because a lot of your commission base or old guard brokers are even fee-based they have some issues doing index funds
1: because their platforms just don't support it. Oh, um, or, it or they're buying what we like to call closet index funds, which is an even worse thing. We'll talk about that in a second. So, But here's the dirty little secret.
0: And I, I'd, I'd ask you, if you are with a commission person or you had a relative with a commission person, and I'm not going to pick on them too much, ask the commission person what they're actually using their money with. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, we, we buy index funds right. for ourselves, and we do it for our clients because I think that there's a reason these things are taking over the world, and you have to pay attention to that. And, and I also have to be careful, the platforms for a lot of these commission guys, they will, they've, they've caught on that indexing is catching, mm-hmm. passive equity management is to catching on. So they've created their own Frankenstein's Bride version of these things and I found when I was doing research from the investment company institute that's the company that comes out every year with a lot of really detailed data Mm -hmm. on flows the difference between active management and you know and indexing they, said that they actually had on their list of index funds, there's an index fund that has an internal expense of 1.53%.
1: That, that's unbelievable to me because what's really interesting is I'm looking at the li- live chat right now, Brian. So if, if you're someone out there who's, not li- who's listening and you're not in the live chat, you should go do it because it's sure. a lot of fun. And somebody just asked this, and, and I promise they've not seen my show notes, but they said, hey, anyone have FXAIX? And you may not know what that is, but that's the just large cap S&P 500 offering from Fidelity. The cost of that fund is 0.015%. So the one that you just threw out there—that's uh, an index fund—that's one5 It's a hundred times more expensive than Fidelity's offering, which is really fifty,
0: three times.
1: It's mind-blowing.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's what's crazy. So you have to be careful. And I will tell you, I ran into—you know—there's the insurance company that all the military families are associated with. I don't want to get brand names, but I think everybody knows who I'm talking about. They had an index fund, and it's still well over 20 basis Mm -hmm. points. I'm still it's a good and I don't want to I'm not picking on that because but it's just when you compare it to 0.01 0.015 that's right (laughs) you pick I feel horrible for picking on them for being in the 20 basis point range but it still is 20 times more expensive so it's something to pay attention to and truthfully a lot of this guys is so exciting because it's technology and innovation Mm -hmm. and then just this price war between Fidelity Schwab and and Vanguard just beating their heads in to try to get the lowest cost products out there and we are the beneficiaries of that think about we did a show on fidelity zero funds that have zero cost to get into them zero minimums and then they have zero internal expenses ongoing costs it's it's crazy the world we live in so take advantage of some of these opportunities that are coming our way so now i want to transition the show to are these things good for your portfolio and your investment strategy mm-hmm. and and is, I mean, is there
1: any reason to not just have all index right. funds? Because, sure. I mean, obviously, you know, this, it sounds like we're sharing our opinion. We like index funds better. So we thought, well, rather than just sharing our opinion of that, let's look at some actual hard – because there's some data out there, and I would make the argument that it's some pretty compelling data yeah. that should influence your decision one way or the other. Um, but hang around, all you active people out there. Hang around to the end, because we are going to tell you the
0: exceptions to the rule. Because I don't want people to think, well, man – why don't we just do everything in index funds? Because mm-hmm. we know we also know we have clients that are in these chat yeah, rooms right. too, and I, I want them to know that we really are trying to, to walk the walk on all sides of this. So let's kind of jump into this. Um, I like to look at if you go to SPIVA, SPIVA. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually it's the Standard and Poor's compiles all this data of how because you can imagine they have they have a dog in that hunt and the fact that they have all these index funds, ETFs mm-hmm. and, and mutual funds that they, that they represent. Plus, you got to realize, anybody who calls it the S&P 500, they're probably getting a little bit of a a little royalty bit. off of that. So um, I just pulled, and you notice, look, let me go ahead and tell you guys, because I saw it in the comments last time. We ha- are going to have a monitor <laughs> in the new studio so I can quit holding up stuff. I've heard you loud and clear, so if you'll put up with us while we're getting the new studio built out. But this is just United States... Everybody who's out there listening to the podcast is like, what is he talking about? If you're watching this on YouTube, you know what I'm talking about. I'm <laughs> holding up stuff. He's literally holding up but, sheets um, of paper. Um, right um, now. It, this is from the Spiva website. This is just the United States. And you can see there's two pages worth of data mm-hmm. of different indices that they have just here in the United States. And I was looking, no, this is both, this is both equity and then the second page is fixed income. Right. Um, but let's talk about the numbers. Okay. And this is all as of June 30th, so it doesn't even have the horrible fourth quarter of 2018, but this is the most recent data that they had on, on their website. And do you know what, you, you, did, you, did you mention what SPIVA stands for? It's, I didn't get the acronym because I didn't write it. In, in my haste of show preparation, I didn't
1: write Tell them what the acronym is. It's the, it's the S&P is. indices versus active management. So their whole entire study is laid out that way. How do the indices perform relative to the active managers? And they update this consistently. It's right. a great place to go look at data and,
0: and process it. So. Here's the, let's go through some of these actual asset classes. I thought this would be interesting for everybody. Large cap. Large cap's interesting because that's the S&P 500. The percentage of funds, that, meaning active managers, that underperformed the benchmark, meaning the S&P 500 okay. on large cap, five-year, 76.49%.
1: So, so three-fourths, three-quarters of three active... Fourths of active fund managers underperformed just buying the benchmark over a five-year period. If you think that there's
0: just a, a fluke, that, that five-year that's probably different, if you look at the three-year, it's close to 79%. I guess we could say over the last year, back as of June 30th, now I'm sure it's got blown up with December, um, it's, it was 63%. But still, I always like looking at the five-year data Sure, because it's a little longer, a little more... You know, a little more knowledge there in time past. Small cap value, you know, small cap value. I will tell you, this one kind of shocked me because forever I was buying the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. And and anybody who's been a client for mine for over a decade knows that I've always loved index investing because of, and I'll get into the benefits in a minute, but I always felt like that was an efficient marketplace. Small cap, I considered somewhat inefficient because you had all these different small companies, and unless they were in your neck of the woods, you wouldn't know about them. But guys, the data has changed on this. Small cap value, if you look at the
1: five-year, 100% of active managers underperformed the benchmark. So in this study, there was not one single small cap value active manager that performed better than the S and P small cap value, small cap 600 value. Exactly. That's according to according to Spiva. I mean that's that's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And this is one I'm
0: telling you, if you'd asked Brian Preston ten years ago, I would have said, no, go buy the S and P 500 on large cap, but. That's an efficient marketplace, but in that inefficient marketplace like small cap or international That's where you should buy. Go buy yeah. go buy an active manager because they can still probably get you some alpha there. The data is not showing that anymore. Let's transition to bonds. Bonds. Bo, you like this because you you did I I can tell you being a CFA. It it probably scares you, you know, it scares me a little bit when you know everything is done not by There's not, you can't outsmart it.
1: Analytics and calculation. You like
0: to think, especially when you get a CFA and all these things, and you see people, you know, you might have seen on YouTube, some of the commercials I've noticed on our YouTube Mm -hmm. channel are people out there pushing these trading strategies and all this stuff. And I'm like, it makes you, as humans, we want to think we're smarter than just going along to get along with the system. Right. But the data doesn't always support that. But I give you a little reprieve with bonds. Because investment-grade short-term bonds, because who wants to be buying mid-term or long-term, intermediate or long-term bonds in a rising interest rate environment,
1: five-year average, 40%. So So. the majority of active managers actually outperformed the investment-grade indices, 60% outperformed. I
0: always like to apply a little common sense. When I talk about taxes or when I talk about investing, I like to apply common sense to it. The government, with the quantitative easing, distorted so much of the bond Mm -hmm. marketplace – with treasuries, I mean, they were just so many treasury bills were being purchased. Um, it makes sense that the indices were kind of skewed a little bit. Yeah,
1: and when you when you think about it, at least my perception of the fixed income marketplaces when we were in a, a declining interest rate environment really since like the late 1970s it wasn't really hard to make money on bonds because you know it's like a seesaw when interest rates go down the value of bonds go up and vice versa so as interest rates have been going down it used to be really easy you could just go yeah. buy a total bond market index and it would perform pretty well for you now that we're entering into a rising rate environment and nobody knows the speed at which rates are going to change or if they're going to continue moving in the same direction, I do think that there are individuals out there who can navigate that marketplace better than just the market cap weighted index. Justin, that that one was for you. I had a guy
0: on here. <laughs> well, here's, let me give... There is one where the SPIVA data shows that the index still does better, and this makes sense. Government short-term fixed income... Because mm-hmm. remember the other one, investment grade means these are private companies. This sure. is going and buying corporate bonds and so forth. But government short-term, the five-year average is 58.62% okay. of active managers underperform the, um, the indice. Yep. So that's, that's interesting. And then let's go ahead and let's, let's shift over to international, because I told you this is something I've had to shift mm-hmm. my mindset on in the last five to seven years, is that, listen to this, oh, and I just took this right from the Spiva research, over the one, three, five, ten, 10, and 15-year investment horizon, so they <laughs> encompassed it all. Managers across all international equity categories underperform their benchmarks furthermore, the longer the time horizon in general,
1: the more funds underperform that's right but I, I I can hear people already saying, yeah yeah, but but that's not but there were some funds that outperformed I mean everyone other than that small cap when it wasn't hundred percent, so all I have to do is be able to find those funds that uh, that uh, outperform and and yeah, that's true. But that's a really difficult exercise over the long term because you might be able to pick a fund that does really well this year, but do you have confidence that that's going to be the same fund company or fund manager that's going to do well the next year and the following and the following? So when you're designing a portfolio and building out your individual pieces, you kind of have to think through that. While you may get lucky once, right. is it likely that same manager is going to have the same track record moving forward?
0: And I think you have to be careful. It's, when you get into the data – there's also what's called survivorship bias. Mm-hmm. Is that we all got like to go look at some of these funds, and there are some really great long term active management funds. But here's the dirty little secret of active management is that over five to seven years, underperforming funds get merged into better performing right. funds so that the long term good performance kind of gets bolstered, That's even right. for the laggards. The laggards just kind of disappear. It's, it's that survivorship bias that you have to be careful when you're v- reviewing the statistics. Of active versus the index funds. Well, let's talk about why are index funds so successful. Um, first, cost. That's, I mean, if it's cheaper,
1: you're getting to keep that money in your back pocket. Well, it just naturally, it's it, I think of low cost being like a head start in the investment world, right? Yeah. So like... If you're going to be 50 basis points cheaper than an active manager, that active manager immediately has to perform 50 basis points better just to break even. So that's a huge hurdle to have to get over right there from Jump Street.
0: And that's what let's go through some of these stats because and realize the way that the investment company, ICI, the Investment Company Institute, publishes this annual data Mm -hmm. is they use what's called an asset weighted average, meaning that they're already giving both categories the benefit of the doubt by skewing the number down based upon what the most successful funds are. And for both active and for the index funds, the most successful funds are sometimes some of the more Mm cost-effective or cheaper funds out there. So um, listen to these weighted averages. Though for expense ratios for active management, 1996, it
1: was 1.08%. So the average internal expense ratio of an actively managed mutual fund at the end of the, the 1990s. weighted average,
0: because the average was actually probably closer to 1.5%. Okay, when so I was weighted. Through, okay. So it's the, they, they, like I said, they gave it benefit of the doubt for the ones, because the more successful funds are the cheaper, cheaper funds. Ones. So yep. they, they weighted it. So it's 1996. It was 1.08 percent. 2017, 0.78 percent. So a pretty significant drop, almost cutting a quarter. Yeah. So listen to this, index funds. And by the way, I remember when Vanguard, and you thought you were getting a deal, and you you were. When when Vanguard and Fidelity and them and their internal expenses of their index funds were in
1: the 20, 30 basis points mm-hmm. range.
0: So 1996 index funds were 0.27
1: percent. Still, so already just still way less expensive even than present day active funds. Twenty seventeen point zero nine percent. I mean, it cut cut in a third, not a thirty yeah. yeah. percent drop, but literally cut in a third. And then I,
0: you know, and I put it on here in my notes because this is just me editorializing that point zero nine sounds cheap, but there are funds that are actually zero right. right now. So this this trend is not going away. I imagine we're still getting pressure because we've heard that there's funds that are point zero one. Are zero. Yep. I know Vanguard's, what, 0.04 unless you're over a certain threshold, and it's 0.01. It's just crazy how cheap things are. So all this money that you get to save on cost savings mm-hmm. is potentially money that's in your army of dollar bills that gets to keep working for you. You get to keep it essentially on the field or the battlefield and working for you instead of paying some unnecessary right. fees. So that's the first thing, cost. Yep. Here's one I don't hear as many people talk about, and it's a big deal. Tax efficiency. Now, maybe it's because I come from an accounting background. Sure. I kind of dig this stuff, and I, I probably nerd it out for something that should be a two-minute... Little burb, and I actually did a lot of calculations. Did
1: you notice that when you did well, look at the show notes? I, I, well, I did notice it, uh, and I did sort of in my mind say, yeah, yeah he's a super nerd. That's <laughs> true. But here's what I love about you. you did that. When it comes to investing, we don't get to pick which way the market goes, right? Market's going to go up. Market's going to go down. We don't get to pick what it does. We can kind of alter our risk exposure, but there are two things that we can control, and we talk about this all the time. If you want to be a successful investor, two things that you get to control are costs, what yeah. you pay, and the second one is taxes, yeah. how tax-efficient you are. So I think even though you nerded out on it, I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: Well, uh, when I talk about tax efficiency, let's talk about the difference between active management versus index investors and what they do. There's this thing called turnover ratio, and it's not uncommon for active managers because they're always trying to find that, you know, they're trying to do the buy low, sell high. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're making decisions, and they got machines and computers and artificial intelligence running right. all these different type of algorithms hopefully trying to create that great alpha, mm-hmm. you know, better rate of return. Right. So every time you do that, you're creating a transaction. Mm-hmm. Well, there's cost to the transaction, yep. but then also every time you is in a taxable account, you do those transactions. That's a taxable event. Yep. So those are things that are going to have to be distributed out to the shareholders. If, if you're doing a, an active management mutual fund um, index funds, here's what happens with them. You'll have an old company, like, let's think about like Kodak. Okay. Kodak at some point was on an index.
1: Kodak, what was that? You know, the camera <laughs> company. But
0: then, you know, as, as we quit using cameras and we start using our phone, Kodak gets pushed off the index. Right. See. You know, it's no longer on the SP 500 right. or, or whatever. So they, they make room and they put, you know, Google or yeah. Apple or some you know, whatever the high flyer that's, you know, the, the new company that's replaced the old company. Well, that's not that much turnover. That's right. So you might see, you know, a 2% turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you don't have a lot of companies changing over. And that's all the that changes in the index. So there's right. not a lot of buying and selling or turnover, and there's not a lot of transactions mm-hmm. that create taxes. So let's talk about what that looks like. Because I knew when I tried to explain it, I was like, that's not going to hit everybody. So let's actually put this into a, a, an illustration that people understand. So what I did was I went and pulled the 25 largest U.S. Mutual Funds.
1: And I love that you do this. Again, in the live chat, you're about to say one. Somebody's already thrown that name out here in the well, live chat, which I just think is beautiful.
0: Look, we don't give recommendations on the show. That's just not the thing because we don't know you as an individual. We don't know your age. We don't know your risk tolerance. It'd just be inappropriate.
1: But we'd love to know you and your age and your risk tolerance. So if you're looking for... I'm just that so out
0: So how do we have... So what I did was I chose the 25 biggest because that's the easiest way for us to go choose somebody to use as a case study. Yep. So the number number 19 on the 25 largest, because realize a lot of these are index funds, so I had to go a ways down sure. to find actual active managers are in the top 25. Number 19 was the Fidelity Contra Fund, a and very popular fund. It's one we're very familiar with. guy has an expense ratio of 0.74%, mm-hmm. just to give everybody kind of an update of what's going on. But listen, we're talking about tax efficiency mm-hmm. in this section. So in 2018, they had two big distributions. They had one on 127 was the record date and then February 9th. If you added both of those up, the one at the end of the year was 7.2%. The one on February 9th was 1.5% of net asset value. If you added those two together, it was a distribution in the year of 2018 of approximately 8.7% of net asset value.
1: So what that essentially says is, is that 8.7% of the value of your holding was was released to you in a taxable distribution.
0: Somebody who has... $100,000 of Fidelity Contra Fund would get an $8,700 Tax di- taxable distribution. Yep, it's it, you know it, it wouldn't be all taxes, right, but it right, would definitely right. be income that would be included. So that leads to the next one. Number 21 on the list of top 25 is American Funds Growth Fund of America, mm-hmm. um, ticker symbol AGTHX. Mm-hmm. Um, their expense ratio, by the way, is 0.62%, and they distributed out in 2018 12.5%.
1: 12 and a half, that's big.
0: So, same example, you have somebody who has $100,000 invested in the uh, Growth Fund of America, that's $12,500 of taxable income they're going to have, have to put on their tax return. Um, so, so, pay attention to that. So, then we go and we look at well, what's the, what's the number one index fund? Well, it's the Vanguard 500 Index Admiral Share, VFIAX, that's the largest in size. I said, okay, by the way, it's internal expense ratio is 0.04%. So, again, just
1: a fraction of the two they active did, funds. They
0: did have, as the Admiral show, they did have a footnote that if you were over a certain size, it went down to 0.01. Okay. I, I, I didn't write down what that was. But if you added up up, therefore, what I thought was interesting is these distribu- distributions were paid out quarterly. Mm-hmm. Those are probably dividends and other things sure. being paid out, which might have a more <clears throat> favorable tax treatment mm-hmm. anyway. But just apples to apples, the total comes out to be one91
1: and, and I want to I clarify something here, Brian, because you just said one of the funds paid out 12.5% and the other paid out 1.91%. That's not rate of return. That's not like one fund no. made 12.5% and the other made one91 That's not what you're suggesting here. No, there's taxable distributions. Mutual fund companies at the end of the year will have huge asset – they have
0: mm-hmm. distributions that come out. And you're like, well, that's good. I like all that extra income. I'd like to have 12.5%. What you don't realize, they actually lower the price of what the shares trade at
1: to bring it down. You basically just get the tax bill. That's it. You're not not actually making money on that. You are breaking even and paying the tax. So don't don't fall prey to that because that's a great
0: Mm -hmm. point, Bo, and I'm glad you clarified that. So it's it's more of this is what you're going to pay taxes on. It's an embedded gains. That's why we always like – I'll tell you, this is not in my show notes. When we go through like a crisis like 2008, 2009 – I can remember when we one of the things, key stats we'd look at in portfolio design was how much in deferred losses That's were right. built into the, the these mutual funds. Because you could buy into a mutual fund that had a 30% deferred loss because of the downturn of the Great Recession. That's awesome. Because that means that your fund can make a lot of gains mm-hmm. before that manager is going to start distributing those gains That's to right. you, the shareholder. There's a 30% head start in there. That's right. It works the same way when we're in a really good period of market where you might have deferred gains that are sitting embedded gains that are mm-hmm. sitting within your mutual funds that even though you buy it you're going to pay tax on that money when it's divvied out to you mm-hmm. even though you didn't participate in that gain that's right and 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 that's that's something you need to be very aware of but going back to my $100,000 example there's a huge difference between 12,500 for the, for the Growth Fund of America, $8,700 for the Contra Fund. And then there was the Vanguard S&P 500 fund at $1,900. Right. And if you look at the tax impact, the $12,500 probably is going to generate, and I just did 15%. Sure. I did a very conservative sure. 15%. That's $1,875 of taxes. The $8,700 is $1,305 in taxes. Meanwhile, that index fund is only going to generate $285 in taxes.
1: And remember, the less that you pay in tax, the more you let like to keep your money working. The more, the more uh, soldiers you keep in your army of dollar bills. So we've got it's
0: cost. It they cost significantly less. Mm-hmm. They're significantly more tax efficient, meaning that's more money in your back pocket. The third thing I'd written down on why index funds do so well is that the behavior and structure of large 401ks. I mean, we've got a pile on factor. Mm-hmm. Right now, we are getting—we're totally getting the the benefits of economies of scale. Is that they are? You got all this pooled money coming in, all these guaranteed money that's coming in to the market every month with the dollar cost averaging of retirement plans. It's just a pile on, and and they're getting cheaper. They're getting cheaper, and you are the beneficiary of this. Mm -hmm. So take advantage of just the structure of this. Is where Fortune 500 companies—they're not buying active management. They're usually—I mean, you see them at Fidelity, you see them at, at Vanguard. I mean, when we deal with clients, they're at the big guys. That's right. They're at Schwab, they're at Fidelity, and they're at Vanguard typically. Um, so how do you personally implement this into your investment plan? That's where I wanted to transition this okay. to, into is because, as I showed you guys, and, and bear with me, I know I don't have it on the monitor that we'll have in the next studio, but this is just the United States. You see equity has a full page. Mm-hmm. Bonds has a full page. and International could probably fill up three pages yep. with all the – the, the indices that you could invest in. So if I'm the average investor who you watch this show because you like personal finance mm-hmm. content, but you don't have a degree in it, you haven't studied this, and you're so worried about screwing
1: it up, you're like, how do I choose which ones? Do I just in do theory, it all? Well, in theory, index investing was supposed to make it easier, yeah. right? Like, oh, I'm just going to be an index investor. I'll go buy one or two things. But like you said, there are hundreds of index indices now It's kind of hard to even sift through all of that, even if you know you want to be an index investor. You could end up with the analysis paralysis
0: of too many good choices that you just don't know what to do. So what we've tried to – what I always tell people to do is you look at this research, it's daunting, and you're trying to figure it out. Instead of trying to choose one fund, there's this new trend that's been really successful, and we've seen lots of opportunity here. Target retirement funds. Mm -hmm. And about every provider, whether like Vanguard with their target retirement funds, Fidelity Freedom Index funds, Mm -hmm. they build entire retirement portfolios or target retirement. It doesn't have to just be for retirement. You use these for education planning. You use them for all kind of purposes. You choose the year that you think you want to have the option to retire. I didn't say you had to retire, but you want the option to retire. And then... That fund is going to be very aggressive in the beginning. But as you get closer to that retirement day, that self-chosen retirement date or financial independence day, there's going to be this glide path that makes it more and more conservative right. for you. And the good news is it does all the heavy lifting for you. That's so right. you can focus on the behavior that's actually wealth building, which is saving. Mm-hmm. And because and, you've talked about it before, Bo, is... Rate of return or how much you save more important when you start out? Yeah, when
1: you start out and you're just sort of getting your army of dollar bills going, the amount of which you save, your savings rate is going to be exponentially more important than your rate of return because you saving 10% of your income early on is probably a lot more money than you making 10% on the money you have invested. So until that switches, and we think that that switches somewhere around the 250,000, $300,000 250,000, $300,000 range is when it makes sense to like shift that focus. You really just ought to be focused on how much am I saving, how much am I saving, how much am I saving. And target date funds are a great solution there.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing, first, I want to give some st- statistics because mm-hmm. I had the research. I hate to waste a good data point if, I, if I've already done the research. Internal expenses in 2008 on target retirement funds was 0.67. Mm-hmm at the end of 2017 it's 0.44. So they're also benefiting from yep. all this money flowing into it. But Bo, you said something really key there. So if I'm a, if I'm a person watching this show or listening to this show, I'm thinking index funds hung the moon essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean you you start going, "Well, wait a minute, why wouldn't we just use target retirement funds forever? Wouldn't we just This all seems good." So right. so is there is there a, a reason not to just use target retirement funds? or is there a u- reason not to just use all index funds yeah so
1: I, you know i think i think that um when you think about target retirement funds I think they're a very good generalist answer mm-hmm. right so when you're when you're designing a portfolio you want one fund to do a lot of things well you want it to handle the risk exposure well you want it to handle international large cap fixed income you want it to do a lot of things well well our opinion is that once you grow past a certain point and your portfolio gets to a certain size rather than having to live inside of that generalist portfolio you can allow your portfolio to be a specialist portfolio where each piece of the pizza pie does something very specific so your in. Index funds, whether you're using indi- indices or active managers, which we'll talk about in a second, are only doing fixed income and your international's only doing an international and your large cap's only doing large cap, you're able to customize each one of the different slices of your pie so that they are now specialized instead of generalized. We think that makes sense once the portfolio hits a critical mass where you can really benefit from that diversification.
0: Well, I like it. Maybe it's because I come from the public accounting background. I love sticking it to our favorite uncle on taxes. Is that once you get to a certain size, you're gonna find that you probably have some tax diversification. You're gonna have taxable money, you're gonna have a lot of tax deferred with your retirement plan, you're gonna have some tax free with Roth. How awesome is it? Because the thing is, when you buy Target retirement funds, which we love, but when you buy them in a Roth, they all look the same in the Roth. When you buy them in the taxable, they look all the same in the taxable. When you buy them in that 401k, all the same. There's no breakout. When you get to a certain size, now we can start gaming the system from a tax location standpoint. That's right. Meaning let's put your growth assets in that Roth. Really let those things turbocharge and grow, you know, well mm-hmm. beyond, you know, just normal things. So that's all your growth assets. All the things that generate ordinary income, like your bonds. Let's... Focus on putting those in those tax-deferred accounts. Assets that are going to generate dividends, which have their own favorable tax treatment, put those in the taxable account. So it lets you kind of really gain the system. You can't do that, unfortunately, with Target Retirement. Love them, push them, tell people to go do that when you're starting out, because you need to be focusing on the behavior, not on taxes and other things. But you are going to come to a level where your enterprise gets to the size. You got to take it to the next level. And that's where we hope that you'll consider talking to somebody like us because there is a graduation Mm -hmm. point from target retirement funds. But now that leads me to what all my wholesalers and lunch and learn participants (laughs) have been hoping that I would share is when does active management work? By the way, that was a little industry humor because yeah. it's always the active management guys <laughs> that are hosting lunch and learns to tell you all and, about it, and then you know the wholesalers coming around trying to get you to sell their by their products. So, Bo, we <laughs> talked about this, yeah. and this is something you added on is that you said, Brian, we gotta we gotta share because. All the people who are in active management are like, this is not a completely fair representation. So walk them through when does active management make sense. Yeah, so
1: we we think that it happens inside of specialized asset classes. And here's what's really unique. We think that it kind of changes through time. I used a great example early in a fixed income. There was a point in time... In the not so distant future, where uh, an index inside the fixed income marketplace made a lot of sense. When we were in a declining, and, and, and now that rates are even rising, maybe we're back there now. Maybe in indices do hold a place inside the fixed income. Same thing when we talk about what's going on in international marketplaces, when you actually look at what's going on in the countries or the economies you're, you're uh, investing in. If you wanna buy an index internationally, which index do you buy? Because there's a bunch of different ones. So you have to kind of think through what kind of portfolio are you are trying to construct and what kind of exposure are you are trying to get? And then the other place where we think uh, active management can make a lot of sense is in the alternative space. If you have a sleeve of your portfolio, like we do when we manage, that's supposed to do something a little bit different than just traditional stocks or bonds, whether it's a return enhancer in the portfolio or a volatility mitigator in the portfolio, sometimes those funds aren't perfectly categorized uh, by the index, and you do have to go with a more active, managed fund. Well, I, I like to think about more. I always bring things back to that common sense mentality, mm-hmm. is that I know
0: about every other day I have one of those boxes show up with a smile on it. Uh-huh. I mean, I, we had probably two show up days oh, yeah. where I, I had the studio stuff coming. Those, those. I was telling Morpheus off camera that I just got those under-cabinet lights that he asked for in the yeah. new studio. I bought those on Amazon. There's this Amazon effect where unfortunately, I worry about all of our brick and mortars. And if you look at a lot of real estate investments, if you're just buying the index, there's a lot of traditional retail space Mm -hmm. on there. And I think that over the next decade, you're going to see this Amazon effect where all of us are buying into this convenience of having those smiling boxes showing up. And that is going to have a direct impact on what happens in the real estate marketplace. So it would be nice. I love index funds. I love the cost savings. Mm -hmm. I love the tax efficiency. But when you know that there's something that is going to disrupt or cause things to not work as efficiently, that's the whole purpose of inefficient markets versus Mm -hmm. efficient markets, you have to plan accordingly. And that's why I think active real estate does do
1: better with that on the horizon. Active managers, they can make those judgment calls. The index can't. It has to operate inside of market capitalization or whatever the stated index mandate is. So it's nice having someone who can have that flexibility inside the portfolio.
0: Here's why I also want to close it out with is because I don't want you, because I love a good deal, but I don't want you to, and I'm going to kill the saying, both so you have to fix it. What is it? Penny, smart, pound, foolish, or how, I can't Yeah, remember. Yeah, Pe- yeah, penny, it's, smart, pound, foolish. It, I think that's if it. you have huge embedded gains in your existing active management because mm-hmm. grandpa, you know, you know, you started buying this because my father-in-law was buying like the Fidelity Magellan back yep. when he was alive. If you had one of those and you started buying those and had huge embedded mm-hmm. gains, you're not going to go do apple cart turnover right. just so you can get that super low internal expense ratio. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to pay all those capital gains just to get in lower costs, I'm saying maybe change your behavior going forward, but don't throw out those active managers if you do have some huge taxable gains. That um, donate those to. I'm about to say if something.
1: you do. Oh, you go. Oh, me <laughs> to sorry. it.
0: you jerk. That's not even in the show notes. I was going to say if you are
1: someone who has huge embedded gains, go listen to our show on charitable giving from last year because that's a great solution for a charitable gift fund. So, Bo. In summary, I mean, it sounds like we talked a lot about we we are. We're pro
0: in index investing, and I will mm-hmm. tell you, I think that, and I think I don't know if I, I, can't remember if I said this because I talked about it pre-show. This is the problem with doing live shows: is we mention things pre-show too. I think it is the dirty little secret for most investment professionals. Yep, so Even your commission guys are probably secretly buying index mm-hmm. funds. So make sure you understand how index funds work, and then figure out how to, you know, most effectively implement this in That's your right. own financial portfolio. And by the way, if you don't feel up to it because you look at the three pages of SPIVA data and you're like, this is for the birds. Yeah. Consider taking the relationship to the next level. We have this whole abundance mentality where you come to watch the Money Guy show or you come to listen to the Money, Pot, Money Guy podcast. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing this now since 2006 That's where right. people come, we love on you, give you all this great free advice. All that we ask if you ever want to pay us back is that when you get to that level of success, when you get to 250000 300, 300000 and greater in assets where you can move past the target retirements... Let us, let us get a look over your shoulder. Let okay. us help you out. Let us be, help you be your personal CFOs to make those right decisions for your finances going forward.
1: Bo, did I miss anything no, in today's I, show? I, I think you nailed it. Uh, I, I'm excited about 2019. You know, the, the, last part of, uh, the last part of the end of the year 2018 was a little interesting. It's right. going to be fun to, to, uh, to watch 2019.
0: I, I liked, you know, we did us some shows on market volatility mm-hmm. there at the end. And uh, when bear, when a bear, bear market attack, attacks, yep. I, I, I love the titling, but I never can remember <laughs> everything. It really, I, a lot of you guys have shared with us that it's helped you get you through these downturns and market cycles. Pay attention to that. You know, whenever you go through downturns like what we had at the fourth quarter, bottle up the feeling you had. But then mm-hmm. when you come out the other side and you see it wasn't as bad as maybe what you were feeling in the middle of it use that as a learning experience. I tell that to every young associate that we bring on is because um, your emotions can be great for finding the love of your life, but they are horrible for your wallet. So don't let your heart and and your emotions betray you. So make smart financial decisions. Keep tuning into the Money Guy Show. If you have not subscribed mm-hmm. to the YouTube channel, if you haven't followed us on Twitter, you know, here's where we, we really, and, and I hate it because all the financial publications that rake financial advisors and how good they are on social media, they use Twitter. Yeah. Why? <laughs> but they do. So if you're not following us on Twitter, go follow that as well as subscribe on YouTube, and then definitely check us out on iTunes or however but, else you, and- you grab podcast i'll
1: throw this out there too if you're someone who's just listening or you're brand new to the show we do this thing live every other tuesday at 4:45 central time come hang out with us a couple hundred of our favorite friends and uh join the chat and uh it's all kinds of fun we'd love to love to see their live. so i'm your host brian preston mr bo hansen we're about to start a live q a so
0: join us next time in two weeks and you can also be a part of the q a and probably get you one of these handy-dandy tumblers. just got two more cases in, so we're giving away some tumblers. We are
1: giving away some tumblers. We'll talk
0: to you soon. Money Guy Show, out. The Money Guy Podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm
1: regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized
0: investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for
1: informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice.